All right, there we go. Um, my name's Jason, uh, and um, yeah, real quick um, introduction. Just this is my family. So many of you know my wife, Amy. She's been coming LER for ten years now. Um, we've uh, Mason homeschooled. That beam's right in the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna miss one of you. So. Sorry, you're behind. If you're obstructed view seating, I grew up outside of Detroit going to Tiger Stadium baseball games. Every once in a while, you'd get a seat behind a pole. Um, back in the days when it was like, you're at the game, enjoy the view. And um, so if you've got obstructed view, I've felt your pain. It's right here. So, um, so anyway, uh, my wife Amy and my kids, Sophie's 16. Lucy's 14, Nolan, my little man's 11, and Ruby's eight. And so if you wondered, like, what do you guys do for fun besides Mason? Um, backpacking's our jam. So it's like camping, except it's all in your backpack. And so if you have done it, you know the joy of it. Um, there's nobody at a site next to you with a generator. <laughs> Um, and two, one of the things that Amy and I have discussed on this that we love about it, and, and if you're at all interested, we could chat over coffee. I love talking to here. Um, the thing I love about it is that in, I don't know if you're the same as me, but my brain is constantly thinking about what do I need, and if something goes wrong, I'm going to need something for that, and, which is good. Uh, but the bad of that is that I tend to bring along way too much stuff and acquire too much stuff and it all sits around and gets used once, maybe. Um, and with backpacking, what you have is what you have, and so that's fun. Um, and it's outside and it's masony, so anyway. Um, if you ask me what are my two most things I'm most proud of in life, that's my gear closet. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, it is all from Mercari, eBay, or, or Marketplace. And so if you're thinking about getting interested in a thing, I can talk to you about how to outfit your family for not REI prices. So <laughs> um, the other thing I'm most proud of, besides my wife and my kids, it's, this is my uh, office at church, my library. Um, and the books are fine, but it's this Lance Mountain skateboard. Um, throwback from when I was younger and cool. So anyway, um, that's that. And then just this is a quick uh, plug. Any talk, big talk I've ever done, I always record and then have available. So if you're ever wondering, I'm not sure the quality on these, um, if it'll get posted or not. But just, there's nothing fancy there. Uh, it's just a placeholder for talks. And so it's just unpublished trail guide. Um, has my stuff. So, okay. And that's about it. I'm a pastor. We planted our church 15 years ago. So far, it's working out. Um, and uh, we'll see how that goes. So, let's see. That's about it. Anyone, this is your first LER. Awesome. Anyone, like, you really wanted, you were torn between three talks right now? Yes. Yeah, can I just, like, for real, 
say thanks for being here. Um, not because this is way better than any of the others, um, but how fun is it to be at a thing that's so rich? There really is not a fear of missing out, but a, man, that would be great too. So um, if we don't go along, just look and see who comes out of the places others and make them narrate to you and you can get the experience. So, one of my favorite authors in the world is C.S. Lewis. Um, and in the book, The Weight of Glory, there it's a collection of sermons that he gave. When we think of Lewis, we think of maybe a lot of things. And uh, the fact that he actually didn't give a whole lot of sermons is uh, caught me off guard. But one of the sermons is called A Slip of the Tongue. And uh, in the opening of that, message, he says this, when a layman has to preach a sermon, I think he's most likely to be useful or even interesting if he starts from exactly where he is himself, not so much presuming to instruct, but comparing notes. And so um, I know I'm here, I have slides, I have some things written down that may or may not be cohesive, but uh, no expert, okay? There are so many times when I'm asking my wife or Nancy or Art or Craig or just like, what is this? what's going on here? And, or after a talk, like, was that okay? Did, that, did I do Mason right there? <laughs> so if you're going, I don't know, or you're new to this and checking it out and you're super inspired but also super overwhelmed and just not, it's okay. And so this isn't me, an expert. This is just me. And um, hopefully this feels a little bit like comparing notes. And I love this idea of just being together, not expert audience, but just community. And so, um, all right. Uh, here's our kind of check engine light question. How are you? Like, how are you feeling? Last year with the guys, I asked that question and was raw. Like, asked it and then teared up because I was doing amazing. Because <laughs> last year was hard. But like, for you, how are you doing? On a one to 10, one being battery drained, not gonna get a single more picture out of that phone. 10 being just pulled it off 100%. How are you doing? And my guess is is that we're probably five or more, most in the room. Or quick to say, seven, six, I'm not. But if we like maybe rewind and really get into it and not therapy session, but like maybe it skews a little more the other way. Um, the title of this is Failing at the Habit of Attention. Um, and the idea, we're not going to focus on the fail so much, okay? Um, I don't know your background or your faith story or your church setting or your somebody in authority over you talking way, um, but this isn't a you stink. But on the flip side of that, we all have a voice that says you're not doing enough. And so um, 
you're probably not going to get a list of 25 things to do. Um, I'm not very good at application, even when I preach. Um, but if we're honest, we have this voice. It's hopefully not too loud outside of you. People in your world, grandmas, grandpas who wonder if the kids are going to get jobs. Um, but I know you have that voice. Moms especially, dads in the room, props. But moms, like you carry things uniquely. And um, so I want to I wanna recognize that voice, but also hopefully we can slay it. Because um, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so if I were preaching and this was a Sunday morning, I'd say we have a voice that says you're not doing enough, but we have a God who says you're not enough. And that's the good news, is that none of you are enough. You're not enough to teach your kids. You're, you don't understand everything they need to know. You know this. This is, this is Mason. You are not the bringer of knowledge to your kids. You are the one who puts them in, in the way of, the, of it. And so, but even knowing that, even having a cross stitch on your hallway that with some inspiring mason, this still comes up. And so one of the things we're going to do, I always hate it when I'm at a thing. It happened yesterday. I came in late to uh, a talk, and they used the word mason uses um, in her text a lot, and I was late, and so I missed, I didn't hear if they defined it in the beginning, and we just kept using it, and I'm like, oh man, I, I think I'm not going to understand what's going on in this, because this is a really important thing. When, when I say attention, you all know what it is, but I think in terms of what Mason says it is, it's worth all kind of same page getting going. And so, just full disclosure, I have a clinical diagnosis that says I have a lack of attention. I am currently medicated, and the meds are mostly working right now. <laughs> but you may have that in your world, or wondering about your kids, or whatever. I'm just going to let you know, meds work, and they're good. So, Mason has habits of attention. We're going to talk about that. She did not know the power of Concerta. Uh, um, and maybe would have said something about it. So if you had questions, that is not my talk, but if you had wondering, if you were wondering about those kind of things, I can be a resource to you. Um, unmedicated through school, medicated sort of through college. Actually, Amy's probably the one to say whether or not it's working. So, um, so Mason has a lot to say about the habit of attention. When I say attention, or you hear attention, or even inattention, what do you think of? What's a, what's a mental idea for you when you hear the word attention? Focus. Focus? That's a good one. Listening. Listening? Oh, nice. So the mental image of soldiers all facing forward. Receiving. Yeah. Receiving. Yeah, these are great. Like attention because you're actively. Like, actively. <laughs> yeah. Help? Yeah, no, it or does. I'm like, like, that there's, there's <laughs> intentionality. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We, we know when we're paying attention. 
and we know when we're not paying attention, we know when our kids are paying attention, we really know when they're not paying attention, right? And um, so a lot of this is from volume one, a lot of the quotes we'll use. Um, and it's interesting, Mason says that the habit of attention is the chief of the mental habits. Um, so like, Jay, horrible way to do a quote. I know, this isn't how we're doing quotes. That would be so cheesy. Like, eh, I figured it out. Um, but it's interesting, it's interesting in, in the section where she begins to talk about habits, we have, um, let's see, this is, uh, oh, we're on page two. Um, volume one, part five, habits of the mind is, is the part. And then it's nine pages after that. Um, nine pages after she says, hey, we're entitled to habit of attention. But she actually gets to what is the habit of attention. And that's not because Mason's not focused. Um, it's just interesting to me the way she oftentimes invites you to come to the thing that is important by walking you through different rooms to get there. Yeah. And each one of those has significance. But if you've read the volumes, but if you've read the volumes and you've struggled with the volumes because you're just not quite sure and the language is very like not King James, but it's certainly not NIV. <laughs> um, then I always jump to the end of a section, read what is, and then, okay, this is where we're going, and then come back. And it, it puts me a little bit more at ease, especially when I was first getting into the volumes. Um, so anyway, we're nine pages in on, on the habit of attention, and she asks this, what is attention? It is evident that an attention is no faculty of the mind. Indeed, it is very doubtful how far the various operations of the mind should be described as faculties at all. Okay, thanks, Charlotte. <laughs> attention is hardly even an operation of the mind, but it is simply the act by which the whole mental force is applied to the subject at hand. This act of bringing the whole mind to bear may be trained into the, a habit at the will of the parent or teacher who attracts and holds the child's attention by means of a sufficient motive. When I was a kid, I would have said a good motive, Skittles. And as an adult, I still say that, but you know that's not where she's going. But this is, this is the money in this, and this is the working definition that Mason uses through the whole of the volumes that comes through all the archives and the PNEU and everything else. And so if, if you're wondering, what is attention? Now, even with this, it still doesn't feel like the most clear, does it? Or at least it doesn't to me as I'm coming to this. And so attention is one of those things that is, is okay. I, I got the concept of it. I've got the definition of it. I've got... She goes on from there and says, it's impossible to overstate the importance of the habit of attention. It is, to quote, the words of weight within the reach of everyone and should be made the primary object of all mental discipline for whatever the natural gifts of the child, it is only in so far as the habit of attention is cultivated in them that they're uh, able to make use of them. 
Now, full disclosure on this, yesterday I spoke to the students and we talked about uh, um, the worthiness of, of, of the habit of attention, uh, the struggle to, for them to function focused. Um, and so I told them, some of your parents may be in the room tomorrow when we do this, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the same diamond and look at it from a different way. And so, um, don't be put off if this is your first pass on this and you hear Mason say things like, it's easy or it's within the reach of everyone. Like Mason, you don't know my kids, or, or you don't know my brain, or, and because she calls this a habit, um, we're reminded that it's not a thing that we're supposed to naturally be good in, but it's a thing that we can grow in. And so wherever you're at on the sliding scale of attention, um, there's, there's a next. Um, but that also shouldn't be burdensome for you in thinking about yourself or thinking about your kids. Okay? So um, Mason says right before this chapter, she says that, um, that this is a habit that comes through direct training rather than example. And we know that she talks about some of the habits and some of the, the character uh, qualities that we hope to see in our kids and in ourselves, honestly, um, being things that are caught through the environment or modeled and then replicated. Uh, things like honesty, things like candor, things like uh, kindness, um, that that if you don't have a home development where that is as natural as the air, you're gonna struggle. If every conversation about what happened to you in the drive-through ends with, and they're idiots, don't be surprised when the kids struggle with kindness, right? And Amy's always pointing that out to me as the kids are listening to you, Jason. And so um, this is an area like, oh yeah, that's right. And so, but habit especially, or habit, uh, attention, it's a trained thing. So real fast, um, it's trained like this, and this is how it takes nine pages to get to what is habit. Um, short lessons, living books, picture study. I love picture study. I use picture study as a pastor in our church as a, it, it's great, isn't it? Helping your kids focus on a thing, which Mason says is super important. Um, uh, give attention to things rather than just words. Lots of words make mind weary. Um, and train kids as an infant. Anyone exposed to Mason early enough that you've actually done this? You've trained the kid as an infant? Okay, as a dad, you, you have? Uh, this was a weird thing when I read that one. I'm like, that's weird. You give the kid the object, take it away, you bring it back, you have them focus in on it, you, and then they'll love it forever. Like, this lady's weird. And it was only book one, and so I wasn't all the way in with her, but I love my life, so I was going to keep reading. <laughs> and so I don't know about that one for sure, but, but these are the things she says. You know this, make sure the lessons are attractive. 
Use beautiful things. Use beautiful books. Point them at beautiful and true things. Have a timetable where the work's done in a certain amount of time and then only then because everything has its right place. Some of us, if this was a dad talk, the timetable might be an interesting because there are way too many times when I'm supposed to be present with the family when I'm writing a sermon. And that's my job, but you have it too. And so I wonder if we were to exercise this habit and this discipline of our, our life of, of starting with the structure of a timetable, but then having it move into the habit where things have their right places and their right times and only that. Wouldn't that be fun? Like, sorry, the time for laundry has passed. You are <laughs> naked for the rest of the week. <laughs> that Mason family is really weird. <laughs> Don't, that's not quotable. So. Uh, short lessons, you know that, man, as a kid, how much would we have killed to have that, right? Good night. And then rewards, but not overdone and then make sure the knowledge is attractive. And so those are some areas practically, and so if you're just new to all of this, and that's nine pages of Mason, and she says it a lot better, and, and you could sort through that and ruminate on it on the way home or whatever. But right after this, in my mind, she's like, great, she's done that, now she's defined it. Now we're gonna really talk about attention. We're really gonna hit this. And right after that, here's where she goes. She says, the secret of overpressure, if we were only as it, or if it were only as it saves wear and tear, a perpetual tussle between duty and inclination, it is worthwhile for the mother to lay herself out to secure that her child never does a lesson into which he does not put his heart, which describes all of our homeschool, right? <laughs> Got it, Mason, nailed it. Where's my merit badge? But that's a good thing to be reminded of then she says, and that is no difficult undertaking. The thing is to be on the watch from the beginning against the formation of the contrary habit of inattention. The contrary habit of inattention. And then she goes on and she says, a great deal has been said lately about overpressure. And we have glanced at it, one or two of the causes whose effects go by this name, but truly, one of the most fertile causes of an overdone brain is a failure in the habit of attention. Then she says, I suppose we are all ready to admit that it is not the things we do, but the things we fail to do, which fatigue us. With the sense of omission or the worry of hurry in undertaking our tasks, I laugh when I read Worry of Hurry, because that's just a funny turn of a like southern preacher and not what I expected from Mason. <laughs> Isn't this true? Yes. So in looking at our kids, in looking at our day, it's Mason says not the things the the task of things and all of the things you have to do, the thing that makes you weary and wears you out, that causes the overdone brain, that burns us out, we would say. It's the stuff we're not doing. It's the stuff our kids are not doing. 
So she goes on from that, and we're not going to hit this, but she just says it's the stuff that's still sitting there that then the day goes on, and then the kid thinks back to that lesson's not done, and it just kind of rolls in. And so the, the place we're going to go this morning, and hopefully this isn't torturing a text, but it's this idea of the stuff we're not doing. Not the stuff we're not getting done, but the stuff we're failing to do. And so hopefully that will make sense in a second. And if it doesn't make sense, hopefully it'll make sense by the end. And if it doesn't make sense by the end, we've done our best. What do you think of when you think of the failure of attention or the habit of inattention? What picture do you have? Or what? how would you define this? Or well, I'm looking at it right now. He's standing up there. He's pretty random. A constant like looking around, like okay. looking in, like literally the physical eye movement. Mm, yep. Of like I, yeah. Yep. It just shows constant. So just the constant scan. Mm. Some guys would say that's situational awareness. <laughs> no, but it's there's true. There's a timing place for it's different totally things. It's totally true. Yeah. yeah. It is. See, and that's the other thing in this, is this sh I'm not trying to burden us. We're just trying to drag something to center stage and call it out. Well, it might depend on the settings, too. Yes. In the scouting video, we should be looking all around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's an image. Right? Well, that was wrong. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Everything in its right place, in its right time. I think of daydreaming, daydreaming, just dreaming, right? Like just sort of planning, sort of idealizing. Yep. Yep. So in the professional That's world, good. we call it multitasking. Right. Oh. I wasn't listening. Right. In in brain science, says that's impossible. Right. Yeah. It doesn't. We can't multi-thread. I think of an inability to order. Mm. Yeah. So I think I mean I I feel like yeah. I have tendencies of ADD. Right. Always have. Welcome. Um, never treated for it. Just yeah. became an artist instead. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I think that one of the things that's interesting was when at the intro session that Nancy and Art did, they asked us to narrate something. I think I think it was that one. I don't remember. One of the early things. Um, and just how hard it is for me to narrate. Like mm, yeah. it, it is so hard yeah. to narrate, to listen, and then to order those. Yeah. Things. Anyone else, you've experienced that same? Your kids are narrating, and you're like, I'm so glad they don't get to ask me to narrate. Yeah. Right? I am that way too. Yeah? Yeah. Um, there is, so I talked to my kids about the science behind not being able to think two thoughts at the same time. Mm -hmm. And whenever we're doing a reading for school, and I ask for a narration, and I get that blank stare from my eight year old, I leap right away into, can you narrate your other? Ooh, nice. Drag it out. And he does. Yep. He does. And I and then I thank him for sharing yep. that thought with me. Yeah. And we move along. Right. That's super it's good. It's amazing how that sinks right. in the idea that yep. you can't really give your mind right. to more than one thing at a time. Thanks for coming. That was it. <laughs> that's good. See? Yep. That's what I think when I think of inattention as a turning inward. So inattention as a turning inward. That's good. One more. So maybe on different lines. Um, I have one who yep. is gifted like you are. 
and like she will be like upside down, right. spinning around, and like I used to be like sit still mm -hmm. because in my mind sitting right. still and looking a certain right. way was attention. Yeah. For her, it's not. She's right. an incredible narrator yeah. as long as she's upside down. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. So that this isn't in my notes, but that's true. We have we have. Uh, a couple of our kids, we let listen to music while they're doing things because that, there's a part of their brain yes. that needs to be occupied while they do. And if you could hear my soundtrack that I write these things to and sermons to, you'd be like, what? Because it's loud. But I need to slow down some parts of my brain because some other parts need to work. And that's not Mason. That's, that's a little bit of a different thing that we could talk about. But, but that's... To me, that's the beauty of, of, of a Mason philosophy, is it's, there's philosophy to this stuff, and then there's your practical living it out. And so that that is awesome. What are you thinking about? Narrate that, and not in a shame way, but in a real way, because you are, you have thoughts. Um, and to Mason that, she says there's always a train running through your kid's head. And if we can help make them aware of that, then rather than you're just not doing this and what's wrong with you, which was my whole uh, school. Um, it's, it's the redirect and it's the training. And that's actually what Mason's talking about. These things that you guys are saying, these are the things that Mason's talking about. It's the training. Some of you are just amazing and your kids are amazing. It's a natural ability to pay attention or to focus their attention or to give the full of their thought to the task at hand. Some, they're just, they have a gift. Um, others maybe are ADD and so have moments of hyper-focus. And that's a real thing. And, and you go, why can't you just do that all the time? And they're like, I know, why can't I do that all the time? And then that turns in and becomes like therapy. It's time to talk to someone about it. But not that you're doing that. But that's what I carry. Why can't I do this all the time? Why do I have A's except when I have E's? And then the next semester I have an A. We have E's at where I grew up in Michigan, not F's. So these are great, these things you said. So this may be a little bit, I'm not trying to step on any toes, and I'm not saying anxiety disorder is not a real thing, okay? I'm not. But anxiety is what comes when it's one, of, it's one of the outgrowths of the failure of attention. Either anxiety in our kids or anxiety is us as educators. And anxiety is, I don't know, this isn't a Sunday morning sermon. And I know the Bible has something to say about anxiety, so if you're like, Jay, what about Philippians 4? We'll get there, there's a slide. But anxiety is the natural human response to uncertainty. It's natural. Go as far back on however your history of early man goes. It's either a caveman not trying to get eaten by a Siberian tiger, or it's Abel hoping he doesn't bump into Cain, or it's, it's natural. It's part of the fall but it's the natural human condition. Now, listen, I also know anything that is, anything can move to a place of crushing brokenness. 
And so the thing, the end game for this, this isn't the way to do this, but I'll just tell you where I hope we're going to land, is that we are developing kids and we ourselves are having permission to have experience and feel and process anxiety and move through it because we will always have uncertainty in our life and so will our kids and the false narrative that says our job is to keep them from uncertainty or to not experience uncertainty the opposite of faith is not uncertainty but well okay we'll get there so there's a lot of super smart things to say about this and i'm going to defer to experts and so i don't know if this is a podcast that you listen to but it's called good faith um in the the stuff on on anxiety it's in episode 33 i'm going to have a couple qr codes today so if you wanted to it's uh good faith episode 33 anxiety despair and weariness and they they work through Anxiety is the natural response to uncertainty. Despair is the certainty that all will be bad. And weariness is the constant movement between those two things. And so hopefully despair, hopefully that doesn't describe your homeschooling, but if it does, that's okay. Here's the other, th- and they say this in the podcast, and I'm just going to hit it and move. In, in church world, we, we say we need to pray our way out of anxiety, and in the secular world, we need to medicate our way out of the anxiety. And they say that anxiety actually plays this really important role in our life. Not that prayer isn't important or doing things. It's my day job. But in it, not that medication doesn't work or it doesn't play a role in those two things. But if we have an unhealthy start point of of what anxiety even is, that it's the thing we're not supposed to experience because it's a character flaw or a sin, then we are going to avoid it at all costs. And if that means just ignoring it or whatever else, or if that means medicating it with gambling or shopping or drinking or eating, then that's what we're going to do. But see... And what happens is we go, well, what about Philippians 4? Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace. And so we say, we say this, do this, don't do this, and this will happen. And the, God is amazing at everything except being confined to a mathematical equation. It's not that this isn't true. It's true. But Paul is inviting and drawing us into something more than just saying, don't do this, do this, there I've solved your problem. He's not a used car salesman. And so, so what is he doing here, Jay? Well, actually, I can't really talk about it because it's not Mason, so let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the reason is this. The reason I would say anxiety is not a sin, and if you've heard this and are burdened by this, let me un- unweight you. Anxiety is not a sin. It's a state that you're not to remain in. The reason I say it's not a sin is the things that we experience when we experience anxiety. What is anxiety? It is the, it is the feeling we have when we are presented with uncertainty. 
If it's a sin, then Jesus didn't live a sinless life. Because the Garden of Gethsemane is the picture of Christ experiencing uncertainty. So much so, it physically affects him. And so, if, if you want to talk about that, I'm around. I'm not a clinician. I'm just a pastor. But they dig into it a little bit more on that podcast, and I just found it so freeing. So freeing. Because, listen, we all face uncertainty. We all do. And, in fact, we're going to see this. Mason says, run at it, not away from it. So you've maybe heard this uh, illustration, Corey Ten Boom, from The Hiding Place. I've used this before, and I've come back to it again and again. Corey, she says this, So seated next to my father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked father, what is sex sin? And he turned to me as he always did when answering a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case off the floor, and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey, he said. I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yep. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you're older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. This is the picture of parenting. And so we're, we've talked about attention, we're going to talk about inattention, we're going to talk about two very specific things that I think we as parents need to be encouraged in and um, let go of. So, but before we do that, I was going to, uh, sorry I don't have a picture study handout to give you all, but this is, the ink is fresh on this one. So if you've got your phone, QR that. If you like QR nothing, that's the mark of the beast. Um, you can go to trailguide.com uh, slash overdone. I will have the picture on here if you're like, I am not doing that, but it's not going to be good. So QR it, and I know this feels like a subtle ploy to get you on my website. I am going to smile when I see all the hits. Because <laughs> I'm super immature. All right, you good? Got it? Okay. You know the routine. So here, let's, uh, we don't have a ton of time, so let's just take like two minutes, okay? And take a look at this. Is it working? Did the link yeah. work? Yeah. Are you, okay. While you're there, if you could leave an offer, I'm just kidding, that's not how it works. Yeah. Here's the code again.
Alright. I know. Turn over your phones. Da da da. You don't have to. It's hot. Um, what do you see? Those of you who can read, I don't know if that's even Latin. Don't spoil you super smart people. Uh, what do you see? Some very elite, uh, not interested people looking at each other, talking to each other. Not interested in others, I mean. Cool. What else? What do you see? A man with his hand in feet found, so some kind of punishment, maybe. Mm. Um, a woman trying to turn somebody from looking at him. Mm. Nice. What else? These are great. There's one woman kind of wringing her hands, looking at him. Mm. What else? This is so good. People going about their business in the background there are not really caring much. Nice. Isn't it amazing how much more serene and tranquil the ancient world was? <laughs> Keep in mind, they all stunk. No deodorant. <laughs> what else? What did you see? Someone holding a scroll. So something Alright, awesome. Yeah, good, good notice. What else? The one seated is, is rather low. He's lower than everyone in the picture. Right. And uh, he also looks a little larger. Well, mm. cool. Maybe not. Uh, but he... <clears throat> He stands out immediately. Nice. Anyone know? Yeah. So the guy with the beard is kind of facing back to turn back towards this other couple. It seems like they were vying for his attention to the punch of the death and not the gun. Right. Good notice. And he's the man that's found is like clearly lifting up himself like Hulk kind of mm -hmm. his eyes up and even his legs and arms are lifted up. So. Right. These are great. Anyone know what this scene is? This is so much fun. This is Paul before uh, before heading to Jerusalem. So we're in. Um, I'm not going to give you any. If you're super into that, dig in on the artist and um, all of that stuff. Um, so Acts chapter 20, toward the end of the book of Acts. Uh, the place a lot of pastors skip and if you're doing a series on X this isn't going to fill the seats but it says this and now compelled by the spirit I'm going to Jerusalem knowing not knowing what will happen to me there uncertainty I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have seen am I going to see again. And so this is Paul before he's in Ephesus, one of his favorite spots to be. The church liked him. It wasn't a lot of issues. It, it was growing. This is the space, if you're a missionary, it's you stay, it's your sweet spot. And Paul, though, is going to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's compelled. He's compelled. And so if you finish out this chapter, uh, it says those who were hearing him, and he has more to say, but it says those who were hearing him were grieved because they knew they wouldn't see him again. I don't like where this is going, Jason. So the next chapter. 
Paul continues to move. He's moving towards Jerusalem. And uh, verse 4, he says, We sought out the disciples there, which is in Tyre, and stayed with them seven days. Though the Spirit, or through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So Paul is compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And here, a few verses away, it says, they are, through the Spirit, urging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Keep going, and here's the scene of our art. After we had been there a number of days in, in the next city, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, not because it's south, but because it's elevation down. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, which was probably awkward, right? Uh, hello. And tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So he didn't go. The end. <laughs> then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. And after this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem, Luke writes. So, what do you do with a text like this? Well, one thing you do is you read it in small snippets. You don't connect it all. Because if you connect it all, the application gets weird and hard and hurts the way we sometimes think about who God is and how he calls us and how he leads us. And this seems to contradict some of the Hobby Lobby signs. Right? The first time I ever preached this text, I was young and brash, and I preached it and said Paul was outside of God's will, just to see what would happen. And then circled around and gave a different interpretation, because the commentators actually aren't resolute on the what. Both are speaking, compelled by the Spirit, so what do you do with that? This is a text that invites us into uncertainty. Now, we could all be like Sunday school spiritual and go, but that's Paul. Or that's prophets, and I'm not even so sure about prophets anymore. But don't do that. See, we serve a God who still does stuff like this. Francis Chan writes, he says, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of if, at succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. And by our greatest fear, our greatest fear for our kids as well. And I know that's Chan, and he's super ADD, but fun to listen to. Mason says this, in volume three, she writes, We talk of lost ideals, but perhaps... They are not lost, only changed. When our ideal for ourselves and for our children becomes limited to prosperity and comfort, 
we get these very likely for ourselves and for them but we get no more Mason is insane well, I'm not going to say what she's not saying it's easy to elevate comfort and prosperity this isn't a guilt thing this is a reorienting thing a recalibration and so is in your worldview is there greater things than comfort and prosperity or is that the greatest thing because that runs counter to most of the biblical narrative not the American biblical narrative and that's why well that's why we're in such unrest right now because the narrative of prosperity and comfort is in disarray and there is nothing deeper for most of society and so the very thing that was a given for 40 years is uncertain now but see the thing we are invited into as educators and we are spreading for our children is the reality of deeper beyond just their comfort and prosperity so um, with the students we did uh, we looked at a wrinkle in time anyone not read a wrinkle in time so uh, you were the first in the back so, you, anyone didn't read it and don't have it you were the first in the so you're like I don't know what's coming but I'm raising my hand because he's giving something away so there take that Nancy I'm doing my own book of advice I like that Jason you get a book and you get a book y'all get books okay um, so wrinkle in time Madeline Langle I've said things she's not safe neither is Lewis but we like Lewis because he wrote Narnia <laughs> but like don't hear me say not safe I say that intentionally and it's unsettling to some people I love the not safe Jeremiah was not safe Hezekiah crazy not safe Jesus super not safe the thing I love about Langle and we don't have time to get all the way into this, but we could be like, what's the story arc of A Wrinkle in Time? So it's about some kids, right? Um, and, and the dad does something amazing, but he's gone, and he can't come back. And so some uh, guides show up to these kids. And it, the, the heroine, Meg, uh, is super awkward, not sure of herself. If you're a Hollywood director in the last three years, you say this is a story about self-discovery and anything that Langle has in it about faith is just antiquated that was needed because she happened to be a Christian rather than what Langle actually said was the whole point of this is the faith and so that's interesting and maybe an illustration on not letting someone else fix your attention because they may fix it on the wrong thing but that said this is a phenomenal 
So all through this, if you've read it, there's the misses and who are they and what are they, and we quick make them angels so that we can make it like, okay, I know this is a, and it's like, I don't even know if they're that, but it doesn't matter because it's not the point. And so these guides, we pick up the story of the place where the kids had gone, tried to rescue, failed, rescued the father, but left uh, Charles Wallace, the, the five-year-old who acts like he's grandpa and is gifted and whatever. And then they've been brought out of danger, but now brother's still in danger, and so they're going to have to go back to danger. And um, so we pick that up here. Sorry, we'll, we'll finish on time. At last she turned to her father. This is Meg. This is in this high emotion time. I know none of us have ever experienced this with our teenagers or pre-teenagers or spouses or even ourselves. But this is just the climax of emotion. And she's been raging and crying and pushing. So she turns to her dad and she says, I'm sorry, Father. He took both her hands in his, bent down to her with his short-sighted eyes, and he says, sorry for what? This is pre-Transformers, Megatron's not a good guy. <laughs> Tears almost came to her eyes at the gentle use of the old nickname. I wanted you to do it all for me. I wanted everything to be all easy and simple, so I tried to pretend that this was your fault, she says to her dad, because I was scared and I didn't want to have to do anything by myself. But I want to do it for you, her dad says. That's what every parent wants. He looked into her dark, frightened eyes. I won't let you go, Meg. I'm going. No, Mrs. Wetzit's voice was sterner than Meg had ever heard it. You are going to allow Meg the privilege of accepting this danger. You're a wise man, Mr. Murray. You are going to let her go. Mr. Murray sighed. He drew Meg close to him. Little Megaparsec. Don't be afraid to be afraid. We will try to have courage for you. That's all we can do. So you know this. Parenting is movement from a time where we do everything for our kids, especially in the habit of attention. It's on us to train them. But it's movement on the timeline to where then they pick up that responsibility and it's on them more and more. This is a picture of releasing our children. Right? All of you in the beginning down to less of you. This is actually what it looks like. <laughs> and then I looked all of the teenagers in the eye and I'm like, so be nice to your folks because you're trying to do more things and they're wanting you to do more things but they're used to doing more things and you're actually not very good at doing all the things <laughs> and then I lost the room <laughs> I said so have grace and be forgiving and I say the same to you and so this is it So Meg says, Dad, I wanted you to do it all for me, in rage. And he says what we all say, I want to do it for you. I want to do it for you. 
And Mason says, And the little emergencies which compel an act of will will fall in the children's lives just about as frequently as in our own. These we cannot save them from, nor is it desirable that we should. What we can do for them is to secure that they have habits which shall lead them in ways of order, propriety, and virtue, instead of leaving their wheel of life to make ugly ruts in miry places. I wanted you to do it for me. I want to do it for you. No. You're going to allow Meg the privilege of accepting this danger. Mason says, and you know the quote in Home Education, she says, he should be taught to feel a certain triumph in compelling himself to fix his thoughts. A certain triumph. One of the reasons we're in the mire we are is there's just not much to conquer anymore. But good night if we let our kids and we let ourselves feel the triumph in fixing our thoughts. We don't have time for this, but this is just too amazing. So I'm writing those words down for the students. I'm down by a lake, not this lake. It's not that fresh. And, and I'm writing, and up comes this person on a paddleboard next to me with a dog. I see out of the peripheral of my eyes. I'm writing about attention, and I see this, and this is what I wonder. <laughs> Not lying, I did. Not do it, you know. <laughs> Timing. Uh, and I thought to myself that, and then I looked over and I'm like, there's an old couple on the bench right there. I wonder if they'd think it was funny or if I was a jerk. I shouldn't do that. Boy, that's interesting that she came through. Wow, I'm distracted. Wow, I'm supposed to be writing about attention. I need to focus. So then I turned back to focusing, and you know what I did? Let's see where we were. I said, you did it. That was a triumph moment. Because it would have been super fun to see that lady <laughs> fall in the water. And also another illustration, probably, about... But there was a task at hand. Now, it's, it's easy to make this just about the lessons. And we could. You felt that anxiety. Your kid struggles with math. You start into the thing. They derail it the way they know they can. You then have that anxiety more. You respond to it. You don't get the lesson done, and the day's shot. I know, that's just my house. We could talk about it only in that sense. And the way to move away from that is to release your kid in the morning. Okay, God, little man's yours. And he has the same struggles I do. And he's learning this stuff the same as I am. So give me the grace, the parent. Fill me with your spirit the way you say you will. And let's do this. And when it goes off the rails, well, it's off the rails only for that time slot, not for all of it. And you change because that's as good as a break. But it's also in our lives. 
two quick examples of this. Uh, my oldest daughter, who's dyslexic and you know whatever, um, has has a literature class that's super hard, and she's doing all the work and focusing in on this um, uh, research paper that she has to do, position paper she'd never done before, so it's all new. And then um, she realizes she misses a different reading of a book that's a good book, but she missed it. And then needed to do a paper for it and didn't turn it in, it already happened. And so Amy and I, between ourselves, were like, and actually Amy's way better at this, she's like, you gotta write your teacher and let them know you missed this. And she said, I can help you with the wording on this, but you gotta do it. Now, in our world of words like helicoptering and stuff, like, wouldn't it be just easier if you just wrote that quick for your kid? How does that grow that muscle? How does that build into spaces of risk? My younger son with his Red Rider BB gun uh, was shooting something and ricocheted, and I wasn't there, but the story is it ricocheted and chipped my neighbor's window. We love our neighbor, we're good friends. He had boys, so he knows how it works. I'm like, Nolan, we gotta go over and talk to Ray. And you know, he was like, yes, awesome, that's what I wanted to do today. And through all of the big emotions, when I don't want to, I actually I wanna put it off. Dad, can we do it in an hour? No, let's do it now. Let's get it out of the way. And we went over, and Ray was amazing. And Ray actually teared up and was like, and I'm like, ah. And then after I went over to Ray, I'm like, thanks for helping my boy be a man today. We're growing in these things. I'll pay for that. He's like, don't worry about it. Way easier to just ignore it, right? There are spaces that we walk with our kids into the risk, but it's their risk, not yours. And see, if we don't do it, then we're sending into the world kids who are malformed, unable. Don't be afraid to be afraid. And the way this scene ends is beautiful. Mrs. What's it? They're encouraging and whatever. And then she's like, we will not let the black thing get you, I don't think. <laughs> and she's legit. And see, God doesn't say, I, I won't let the black thing get you, I don't think. But this is the space we move into on our timeline. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Mason says, I suppose we're all ready to admit that it's the things we do, but the, er, but the things we fail to do which fatigue us. Parents, the thing you are to do that we fail to do, not out of uh, uh, wretched, or not out of like control, maybe out of control. We don't want our kids to be wounded. And we don't want our kids to hurt. And we don't want them to suffer. So we nerf the world. And maybe you're better at this than I am, but parents' permission, and in fact, uh, this isn't a quote, this is just me. If we make the avoidance of uncertainty in our lives the goal, we'll actually increase our anxiety. 
if we fail to release our children to feel and move through the natural response to uncertainty, normal anxiety, we risk impairing their ability to experience and move through the uncertainty they are going to face in their life. Now I know anxiety disorders and things go, okay? I'm not saying, okay, hear me. If that's a thing in your world, do something with it. Knowing we serve a God who heals and moves towards health and medicine does good things. But so much post-COVID that used to just be awkwardness and unease has now become an anxiety disorder. Some of that's legit and some of that's just picking up a label. Parents, let move into risk yourself and invite your kids into the risk. So the two things are this, release your children, release them. They're not yours, they're the Lord's. So release them. The other is this, and we didn't even touch on this, but it's Sabbath. You are exhausted because you are not stopping what you do for work. If we had time, we don't have time, but you gave me an extra half hour, so that's on you. People are, we stink at Sabbath. I'm not saying this in a legalistic way and a don't golf on Sunday, Western Michigan, Dutch reform kind of a way. What I'm saying is the thing you do for your work is the thing you cannot do seven days a week. God told the Israelites, you used to be slaves and had no control over what you did, and you were defined by what you produced. That is no longer who you are. That's what Sabbath is. It's not just being a bummer and not playing football on Sunday. My job is Sunday. What do I do? Monday, I don't church. And so I tell the church, unless you're dead, you don't get me on Monday. And he's like, you got to stop saying that. People, you're going to freak them out. And I'm like, I'm serious. And you know what? Nobody emails me or texts me or calls me on Monday. And if they do, they get my machine. Because I am zero important compared to what God can do. And I need to be reminded of that, and I'm modeling it for the church and my family. So don't do it seven days a week. Sabbath. Okay, we talk a lot about lost ideals. If prosperity and comfort's the thing you're aiming at it, you might get it, but you might get nothing else. Chan says, the world says, love yourself, grab all you can, and follow your heart. That is the dominant narrative. And if it's not the dominant narrative of your home, it's the one you're releasing your kids into, whether you like it or not. We do well as parents to flip that and soak in the gospel that says, deny yourselves, grab your cross, and follow me. And so let's fix our attention on that. And let's work to undo the habit of unrest, of unattention, inattention. All right, there's other things. I just love that picture because, <laughs> listen, this ain't easy. 
it's not easy because the thing we're talking about are the most important things in our lives. If this was like our hamsters, release them to the backyard and they will grow. We might not like it, but we'd give it a shot. These are your kids. But you know what? They're the Lord's. And he infinitely knows what they need and has entrusted them into your care and stewardship, not possession. So we hold them loosely. And when we can't, we ask, Lord, help us do it today again. And if you're stressed and burned and overdone, there is hope. There is joy. There is peace. Release them and receive from the Lord what he has to give you. God, thanks for this time. Sort out and implant what you want. Bless these families, I pray. In your name, amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.